You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast where Chelsea have drawn yet another game of football. I'm joined by good friend of the show, RJ at RJ underscore good things. RJ, my man, how are we doing? Oh, pleasure to be invited back on, my man. Obviously, it would have been better under different circumstances, but ultimately, overall, doing pretty good. All, all things considered, but just happy to be back on and happy to talk all things Chelsea with yourself, my man. Yep, and there is quite a lot to discuss this episode. As I always do with guests, I get them to give themselves a plug. So, RJ, why don't you tell people where they can find you and all the work you're doing with the IFT crew? Thanks very much, Nick. So, as you mentioned, you can find me on Twitter at, at capital RJ underscore good things with a capital G at the front. And mostly now these days do my content via video and and pod relating to the show that I run with two other friends called It's a Football Thing. You can find us on YouTube at The IFT Pod and we do Premier League match recaps. I do my best to fly the Chelsea banner. I also like to do special Chelsea interviews, post-match reactions and just really try to provide regular football content on all things topical. We're almost at the 1,000 subscriber base, so if you get a chance, help a, help a fellow blue out. Yep. The links to RJ and the channel will be in the description below. Make sure you check him and the guys out producing great content for you. And he's also Frank Lampard's best mate. But, you know, I'm still, you know, I'm still not, to- I'm still totally cool with that. I'm not at all jealous. <laughs> um, anyway, RJ, before we get into the football uh, let's start with uh, an announcement that maybe took us a, by a bit surprise early week, but I think it was maybe a pleasant surprise uh, that Chelsea hired mental skills coach Gilbert Anoka from the All Blacks sort of on, on a short term basis. He is kind of famously not, I, know, I think the tagline sort of used with uh, my Matt Lopper, that's where it was, you know, famous for incorporating the no dickheads policy in, in that 
New Zealand setup. It's going, you know, he's been at the All Blacks uh, in a number of roles or so for the last, you know, 15 years or so. Um, just what were your kind of thoughts, feelings? Because given the mentality is something that us as Chelsea fans have have moaned about for a long time, previous managers have, have moaned about a long time. This seems quite, a, you know, a nice sort of progressive move. And even if it's not, you know, some long-term thing, just sort of nice to get, you know, see us try and actually tackle tackle an issue that's been going on a while. Yeah, just, just thoughts and feelings on that. Yeah, I think you use the words progressively addressing an issue that's been prevalent for some time. Lampard's mentioned it, Tuchel's mentioned it. It's been something that's unfortunately plagued our, our club and the squad for several years now. And like you mentioned, even if it's not something that's meant to be a long-term solution to what's been a problem for multiple seasons, there is credibility behind the person they've appointed there is science behind this approach and there is there is um demonstrated history behind appointing such such figures and i actually i can't find too many downsides with disappointment not just because of the who it is but the concept itself if i was being critical someone might turn around and say well what happens if it spectacularly fails what happens if the players don't buy into this new ethos or or, or somehow somehow creates a further divide or, or further weakens this so-called mentality problem. But I do think the risk of that happening is quite limited. And just on the concept of Graham Potter was brought in because of his strong degree in emotional intelligence, I actually think that part of that emotional intelligence has been able to convince all parties that disappointment is actually a good move that benefits everybody because he's been able to get everybody on the same page to say, you know what, I'm not the expert on all things. None of us here are, but let's let's maybe bring someone in as a club that could maybe help us all become better versions of ourselves and instill that proper winning culture. So look, overall, quite pleased with the move and fingers crossed that it pays dividends. Yeah, but exactly. And I think the players would be used to hearing Graham Potter's voice a lot. And I think it can also always be helpful to to get an outside voice in an outside perspective. That's well perhaps not, you know, does not have the relationship or, you know, managing relationship with players that, that Potter himself has. Yeah, there's nothing really to moan about there. We'll just see see what happens. And it was just, just a nice little surprise, uh, you know, to start the week. Another sort of nice surprise to end the week, RJ, the curious case of Benjamin Silva, Thiago Button, whatever you want to come, Thiago Silva. Signed a new one-year extension. He has probably undoubtedly been Chelsea's player of the season. He just seems to just get better and better all the time. A player who, in a very short space of time, him and his family have just seemed to get Chelsea. And I realise getting Chelsea is just seems sort of a bit of a throwaway phrase, or a, a buzz sort of word phrase. But they have really bought into the club, and they seem re- you know do really do really love the club. Thiago is loved by the fans. I think, you know, we're already talking about someone who will be viewed as a Chelsea legend by the time he departs for club. So obviously I'm just presuming you were you were very delighted when, when you kind of saw that saw that news. Oh, I think like 99.9999% of the fan base, when we heard that news, it was just it's so reassuring because amongst all of the buzz and excitement of bringing in the new age, the Mudricks, the Fernandezes of the world, the Matuakis. All of these new players, which is great and it represents Chelsea 2.0, you ultimately need to anchor it to some sort of experience or have it, have it balanced out with somebody that's going to bring you that maturity. And, and not only does Silva by name, Golden by standard, bring that, but he's the top quality, consistent, 
high performing professional that hopefully his leadership by example uh, philosophy will really rub off on those around him and particularly those in defense like the young guys the Badia Shield who's been strong Colwell who hopefully will come back it's just it's so reassuring that honestly Nick that extension made me more happy than majority of the signings we did make just because of the class this guy brings on and off the pitch his whole family the club should be applauded he should be applauded that he can continue to keep himself in such pristine condition so yeah, mate, absolutely buzzing. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Maybe he is sort of, you know, be Tom Brady of the Premier League, just keeps keeps <laughs> just playing on. You know, he is he is just ridiculously, ridiculously good. And I think we're all delighted. And and look, in a, a season with few bright sparks, he has been one. And I think it's just a, a joy to to know that, you know, he's also really excited by the project. I think he even said he's sort of never seen sort of a project anywhere where he's been before like this. He's really excited to be here and he still wants to to be here, which which is great given there are uncertainty over over other players and that he will be part of that squad moving forward. So yeah, it was just brilliant news and we get to get to watch another year of one of the greatest centre backs uh, that probably has ever played for Chelsea. That's just how good he has has been. Um we're gonna move on to West Ham United. It is a game, you know, that Chelsea in recent years have struggled with. With the Chelsea starting lineup, I guess we'll start there. Chelsea named seven starters below the age of 24 against West Ham, they were Noni Madueke, Benoit Badiashile, Enzo Fernandez, Mikhailo Mudrik, Rhys James, João Felix, and Kai Havertz. This was their most ever in a starting eleven for a Premier League game. Obviously, Mason Mount was dropped to bench. RJ, just what were your thoughts kind of seeing that lineup? And obviously, you know, we'll get into questions later about, you know, trying to see things under Potter, but a young squad, seven players under the age of 24. A lot of those players were playing, you know, Enzo in his second game, Mudrik in his, in his third game now. Felix in in his second game uh, so there's a lot you know a lot to be excited about um, but what just your thoughts things when you saw that team uh, team sheet get released this morning yeah I was intrigued I was excited because of the the prospect of bringing some freshness to a squad that I felt needed a little bit of a bit of a shake-up based on recent performances and results but I had a I had a I know it sounds a bit a bit in hindsight but I had a natural reservation about just how well would these new yet talented players click based on they haven't had too much time to develop real chemistry or rhythm but on the on the most part seeing it I thought this is an exciting attacking based sort of lineup I was a bit concerned about did we strike the right balance are we gonna are we gonna really struggle in transition but overall I was actually very very intrigued to see that kind of attacking lineup yeah, yeah, there was a nice, nice to see Ruben Loftus Cheek back in the team, and he was fairly absolutely on his return. Right, let's get into it. You know, we kind of we got a glimpse of Jao Felix at Fulham, and I, I mean, I was there. I kind of immediately fell in love with him after watching those fifty-eight minutes. I thought you, you have excited me. I've not felt this excited about watching a Chelsea attacker for a long time. But he got, got he got suspended. But RJ, they say good things come to those who wait. We've waited three games. It's been been a long time since that Fulham game, but he's off the mark. And he was off the mark thanks to a sublime ball forward from, from Enzo Fernandez. Uh, Enzo Fernandez, along with that team got assisting that goal. No Chelsea player competed more passes than his with 84. He recovered possession more often, seven, and made more tackles uh, free as well than sort of any other Chelsea players. He was sort of everywhere out there. Um, just how nice it to see Jao Felix off the mark, and then we'll go on to a word for, for Enzo Fernandez. Yeah, absolutely. Having Felix come back, so it's a new player, and it's not just a new player. It's a it's a new player that's got 
genuine flair and hype behind him and and demonstrated credibility of just to how much how much special ability he can bring to a team that's really struggling to find that creativity and that lack of and that lack of spark. So I thought that first half in particular, the ability for him to really find himself very fluid, playing in between the lines, receiving the ball in tight spaces and just being able to link up quite seamlessly, which is scary based on his very short time here. He just looked a touch of class above most, if not all of them on the pitch. And yeah, that that first time finish was brilliant. Some of those, some of those passes, some of the movement he made, and the way he was being able to direct his teammates around, along with Fernandez, who I thought again, his life to Stamford Bridge, his new home, he was fantastic. But again, particularly in the first half, that that ball in for Felix, that was a world class cross in itself, and just his his movement. The way he was defending, even, look, it wasn't perfect. And you don't expect perfection. Second game in London derby, there were a few moments where I think Declan Rice was trying to prove himself against someone that's obviously obviously a lot of high-profile eyes watching him. But what I really liked about Enzo was in the moments when he did give the ball away or he was intercepted or whatever, he made sure he made up for it basically straight away with his defensive contribution. And that's a real sign of character that's going to be there and really wants to get stuck into it. So those two individually represented some really strong positives for me. Yeah, no, indeed. Look, I mean, I'll just say it. Jao Felix, Chelsea, sign that man on a permanent deal, please. If we do not sign him on a permanent deal, I'll be very sad. Even if it's like 140 million, sign him. I I, I, Just get I, it done. I do not know this experience, but if we do not sign Jao Fix, I imagine it's probably akin to when your parents are divorced and then they bring home a new partner to see, you know, to introduce them to you and you bond really well with them and you get on, but it does not work out and you do not see them again. And that's kind of what I'm like, hoping it's not like that with Jao Felix because he is really, he is really good. He really is exciting to watch. Genuinely, listen, I do not, you know, with Chelsea not having a lot to play for in the Premier League, necessarily at this moment in time just watching Jao Felix is just such an is enough of a reason to just enjoy watching so Chelsea exciting. games as he is he just really is a really exciting player and look if you find any tweets old tweets of the podcast account run to Jao Felix I'm just going to ask you to politely ignore them okay you know just conveniently forget like VAR with the handball call which we'll get onto later in the game just conveniently you know conveniently ignore that no honestly Jao Felix just does he just does really excite me uh, and look, as I said, you know, he's he's on loan. We shall see what happens, you know, to to draw a to draw a a, a film analogy. Um, I watched After Sun the other night. Uh, it's kind of a film sort of based uh, a relationship between a father and a daughter. Uh, they go on holiday to, to Turkey in the 2000s. And it, the film kind of includes footage from like a, a, a sort of a camcorder. So like footage like recording real time and then also sort of like memories of of a girl looking back at the holiday in the past. And it's kind of like a sort of just a you know, beautiful film. And it's kind of hinted at during the film, this is sort of the last time that she actually spends time with her dad for, for those reasons, which, you know, are left up to sort of interpretation. And it's sort of like with Joe Felix, I sort of feel like I'm sort of experienced my own sort of version of that. I'm sort of, you know, getting to watch him live, getting to talk about him on the podcast. It's sort of a really exciting time. And he's, I mean, he's on loan. It's, you know, so we'll use the analogy that he's on holiday. He's obviously, you know, a lot more than holiday. He's, he's working hard and, and, you know, not just chillaxing by the pool or, or doing whatnot. But it's just, you know, it's really exciting. And look, these months of, of Jao Felix, whatever happens, I just really want to enjoy. But I hope, 
I hope at the end, like it's kind of into that in that film, but she never sees her her dad again. I hope that I do see Jal Felix again because he is a really, really exciting player, and I do not want to be, you know, a, a blubbering mess like I was sort of at the end of that of that film. But yeah, no, Jal Felix was was is really great. He excites me a lot. Enzo Fernandez, two games in blue, not perfect by any means, but a lot of really exciting, encouraging signs. And I'll, I'll say, it, I'll just simply say, it, a midfield trying the, a midfielder playing those type of balls like I've not seen like I've not seen a midfielder do that for a while so it's just simple things that are leaving me you know it's uh gratified quite 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 easily there um RJ look Chelsea could have been more than one up in that in that period obviously Jalfi's before his goal sort of a narrow off cycle but actually was a lot closer than it was at first of all at first he's miles offside but in the end it was not by much and Kai Havertz sort of had a, an offside Causewell, which which was a bit of a shame. He was, he was that was a more more obvious offside. But it was a shame because that was probably one of the rare moments we saw of Mikhailo Mudrik actually be able, being able to express his quality. We'll get onto his, you know, I guess the frustrations uh, with him a bit a bit late. But in terms of twenty minutes ago, that was probably the best we've seen under Grand Potter. I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Three balls in the net. It's is unusual for us. Only one counter, of course. But we just West Ham was shell shocked in that first twenty minutes. We. We knew that they were going to be pragmatic. That's the way that they've been. That's the way they set up. And, of course, we're a team that likes to be possession heavy. Our challenge is finding the right solution to break down these stubborn defences. But I actually really liked um, the times in which we were quite direct and trying to really exploit some of the space that was available when the times when we did try to lure them into a false sense of security with their press. And and obviously essential to that was Felix, of course, Mudrick at times. He looked quite lively in the opening exchanges. Reese James on the right-hand side. Him and Mario Aiki, that's probably something that's not going to get spoken about enough because of the result. But I thought during the beginning phases, them two were working quite well together. And even, I'm not sure if you picked up on this too, Nick, but Reese was dropping into midfield quite a fair bit. He was drifting in a lot, and I think that's Matuaki was holding the width quite well and had a few good moments where he'd come in and had a nice shot. There was that beautiful pass. I think it was Felix to Loftus-Cheek very early, and he got in behind, and I was saying, cut it, square it back to Kai. There was one moment where he did get ahead of the defender, and if he was a little bit sharper, there's a simple square ball into Kai, and he may or may not score, but I would have liked his chances. Kai Havertz finish, the second goal that was disallowed, that was such a shame because when you look back at the replay, it's a shame because he didn't realise just how much space he had that he could have checked his run or, or ran slightly behind to be able to make sure he was 100% onside. But again, it's just one of those fine margins that went against us. But overall, look, that first 25 minutes, even beyond the goal, right before we conceded, that was a really good style of football and you could feel the online supporter base, at least that we were commenting on. You could almost, you could see that this was slowly starting to come together, albeit it wasn't perfect. And then the sucker punch of the goal just completely changed the momentum, even though I thought after we conceded, we actually did pretty well to get ourselves back into that rhythm and reassert ourselves without finding that crucial goal heading into half time. But I don't know what you thought. Yeah, no, no, I would agree there. But, you know, as well as Chelsea played, at 1-0 up, you've got to try and, and kill these games. And, you know, Chelsea didn't. And 
Emerson Palmieri scored his first ever Premier League goal. And of course, it was against us. It was the first goal also, and rather niche. It was the first first half goal we've conceded in the Premier League this season. I've been, you know, I've been one of those stats that have been touted around the rest of the season. I think we were the only club not to have conceded a first half goal. And that was always one of those bizarre ones, but it came to an end. And it meant that since the 1st of January 2000, this is courtesy of Chelsea Chatter, who is brilliant for, for stats and all sorts, there have been 28 players to have scored against Chelsea after making their debut. For the Blues. Now, look, we're not going to discuss all 28 of them because I one do not know all 28 off to hand. But hey, if anyone in the comments at the end of this episode, under the episode when I tweet out, wants to have a go at, at listing all the names of everyone, go ahead. And there is no prize, but you know, just go for it anyway. Um, RJ, it's it's a really it's a good goal from West Ham's point of view, but it is also a frustrating and preventable goal from our point of view. Firstly, let's kind of get to it. Cucurella, now he got, I saw at the time, he got a load of stick for this goal online, which actually I felt was very harsh considering, you know, it's really what happens after where I think there is more at fault. Mm. But he is in a position where he is neither here nor there. Uh, the fullback whose name escapes me has so much time to cross. Now, Cucurella is like stood off. He can't get there in time, but he could go to ask Mudrick to, to, to close him down. I don't think he does. Anyway, the cross comes in. I think then it's Antonio gets his head on it and Reese James slash Thiago Silva, slash maybe Madawaki, or maybe a little bit, or Reese James focus on someone else, they're a bit asleep. Anyway, Emerson Palmieri is there at the back post. It is a really good, you know, really good finish from him, from that area. But it's just so frustrating. And given Chelsea, how, you know, defensively sound Chelsea have been in these last few games, there have been three games in a row with clean sheets. Kepa had not had to do much in a couple of those. It just felt, it almost kind of felt, just the way Chelsea goes, obviously the one time Chelsea's attack is seemingly really clicking, they then have, and, and you know, they actually take a chance and go ahead. The defense then obviously has to almost, you know, crumble. We can't have, we can't seem to have nice things, RJ, this season, but just thoughts, because that was such a frustrating goal. And you were just like, oh, but it was a yeah, particular about season. Oh, absolutely. The whole we dominate, we get a well deserved lead. We don't capitalize on that well deserved lead. We let the other team back into it with a soft goal. It's rinse and repeat for us. It's, I feel like the more things change, the more they stay the same. But with that particular goal, I agree with your, your assessment that it was over harsh. The start of the move happened when they're trying to play it out. Kukurea lost possession. I think Asufau has put the pressure on him, if I'm not mistaken. But then the ball was whipped in. And actually, I, I was I was watching it back. It was actually Jared Bowen. It was Jared a beautiful Bowen, okay. flick. And because I think what he was trying to do was get it into an area that Antonio could get onto yeah. the end because you see Anto- oh but yeah that's right because you see Antonio's exactly. legs stretch out and he misses it that's right definitely yeah. and Pat and Emerson just ghosted at the back and it was Matuaki I think who originally had him but he he lost track of him and then he just makes that run at the back post the header is what makes the goal because it bypasses both Adias Shield and Silva and it was a great finish as you said but I think what's frustrating is A Kukrao lost the ball B then there was actually a fair few seconds that we could have got ourselves back in opposition and been quicker to have shut down the initial cross that come in. But then the quality of the header and the quality of the finish is something you just got to take your hat off because it it was it was just a really well worked goal in the sense of you can't really stop the header once that comes in because you diverted into your own goal. And unfortunately, poor Matuaki would realise for future reference that you've got to stay tight to the person you're marking. Yeah. And that's why him and Reese James had that communication breakdown. The timing of the goal was, yeah, not working for us because we were in total, total control of the contest up until that point. 
But then after it, as I, was, as I said, I thought the response was quite well in terms of getting ourselves back on. We got a couple of dangerous free kicks in some really good positions, but just weren't clinical enough with them. But it's just, again, a situation where I thought for all of the individual moments we had, we either just overdid the final pass, we took too long to have a shot, or we just, again, struggled to find that final the final decisive action that ultimately makes the difference. So, yeah, now that, that first half overall was quite positive, and West Ham would no doubt felt the luckier when they hand to the sheds of one all. Yeah, uh, that second half was fairly-ish uneventful. I think both sides had zero shots on target, kind of just summing the state of a game there. I mean, you know, but I guess the closest Chelsea got was, I think, you know, uh, Ben Chilwell came on, put a great ball in, and Kai Havertz's head is sort of, I think, he clashes with Ogbonner, and it's, you know, in the end, fairly wide of goal. That was probably as good as Chelsea got. Um, yeah. Mm. Before we get yeah. on to subs, RJ, let's talk about the moment that happens. Conor Gallagher takes a shot. Thomas Suchek dives. It hits his hand. Great save. Brilliant save. Chelsea, Chelsea tweeted about it. Uh, West Ham, West Ham to their credit. I, I would do the same quote tweet it and pulled a quote about Thomas Lucho saying about his dad being a goalkeeper or whatever. So fair play <laughs> there. I, I could I could kind of rate rate that. Um given we'd seen about we spent about a good few minutes watching one of the seemingly more obvious offsides call this season take its time for West Ham's goal, that got bizarrely sort of brushed over. I, I just sent a message to people. I was like, pen, surely. And then within about 30 seconds, it was clear it wasn't getting given. And I was just like, lol? Like, I was, I was just like, what? And like, I guess in if the season had been going differently, I would probably be a lot more outraged than sort of I am feeling right now because at the end of the day, we're, we're sitting in ninth. Like, what is this season actually going to amass to? We don't know. But that was an... But being honest, that was an absolute howler from the VAR. I mean, we in the UK here, we got Peter Walton on BT Sport and he is notorious for sort of defending referees inside of him. And he was saying it was a stonewaller. And when someone like him is saying it, you kind of know, wow, okay, this was obvious. I mean, it just kind of shows that, and we'll get on to this. I'll probably mention it a bit later. When your luck's not in, your luck's not in. I mean, the title, um, the title of this, this episode is Fortune's Always Hiding because it just feels, you know, a reference to West Ham and their Forever Blown Bubble song. And it does feel that just for him, the fortune for us is not there because that should be a penalty. That should be a penalty. And it would have presented us a chance to win the game 2-1. And the conversation we're having, which I think still is fairly positive, is probably a lot more, is probably a lot more happy and a lot more positive. And the questions we're going to answer later are probably a lot more happier and a lot more positive. And it's just one of those things we just we these when you're down on your luck, you need these things to go your way, and this should go our way. There's no excuse for this not to get given. I think the reason they say it's not given is because he's steadying himself, whatever, while he's like his fool. Which I mean, he's seemingly on the floor already, so that seems a load of rubbish to me. But anyway, but just your thoughts on that VAR call? Well, as as my good friend likes to say, that's life. So we'll get <laughs> back to that, I'm sure. But um, yeah, obviously, it's 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 a hundred percent penalty. Yes, he's. He's not even breaking his fall because I never, I don't know if you fall over, but I don't fall over and land like that. I have a more straightforward way of trying to use my hand yeah. to hit the ground. I don't use my hand to yeah. go sideways to block a shot. So I'm not sure how that's that's a credible excuse. On the officiating as a whole, I found it quite interesting because there were a few moments. So obviously they took so, so long to rule out that very clear offside it felt like they were looking for some sort of angle to work out. 
could we get, argue him being onside? Did Reese James push Declan Rice or blah, blah, blah? It felt like they were angling for something to be able to keep that goal given. And even our ones, our ones were a lot closer, particularly the first one, and they were very quickly Ooh, ruled out. Sorry, just trying and I think yeah, there's okay. one there was a tack we were on earlier that got flagged up very early for offside, and I'm actually pretty sure it was onside as well. And that was just yeah, it was it was consistent just not following, you know, what the process yeah, was Emerson, anyway. I'm pretty sure yeah. Yeah, Emerson played him on, or it looked like it. It looked a lot closer, put it that way, than Declan Rice. And then that handball situation, they just completely dismissed it. It's just, even there was a situation when, in the first half, when Sufau completely off the ball, completely siphons uh, Mudrik, and he's lying on the ground, and they don't even give a free kick. And then he gets a yellow card later in that match. He should have been yellow carded at that particular moment in time. So, like... The officiating was very substandard and it's not the first time, but it's just one of those situations where when the luck's not on your side, this is just another feather in our bow. So, yeah, it's a tough one to swallow because getting that penalty, there's a strong chance that we we converted. That's how penalties work. And all of a sudden, the whole narrative is completely upbeat before that Dortmund clash. So, yeah, super frustrating. And I just... Again, I find it very difficult how the how the association just continues to bury their head in the sand and doesn't have that level of transparency where they can just come out and comment on that situation, help us understand these things because it just creates so much divide and angst and a lot of broken trust, I think. There's a lot of tr- broken trust with a system that's meant to help provide clarity and increased accuracy we continuing to get this controversy. So, yeah, man, very, very disheartening, that's for sure. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And anyway, it meant Chelsea left London Stadium with a point. It was, you know, the third, third draw in a row. Um, it, it is what it is at this point. Chelsea sort of just meandering around in ninth in ninth place. Um, before we go on to listener questions, which will include a bit more chat on players look I, I don't want to be I don't think there were necessarily loads of negatives today you know really because actually I can't really fault Potter over players too much again there'll be questions about the subs but I thought Madueke at the timing of the sub he was starting to drift out the game a bit Mudrick could mm-hmm. could he have maybe kept be kept on seeing as you know just to play a little bit with Chilwell but again he had been fairly anonymous so I didn't have a huge issue with that even if that was partly down to Kukurela Kukurela coming off again had no issue he really just struggled out there and he's just seemingly struggling I think you know if Chilwell was fit he would probably be facing a spell out of the team right now and he just he just needs that um just a quick one on that booing from him when he comes off that helps no one that really helps no one and in a week where we've had online a lot of controversy around Mason Mount and people going to his defense and moaning at people having to go at him you kind of got to practice what you preach you can't go and then boo your own players you don't boo any of your players that's just not right um that does nothing for Kukurela's confidence that was just a really that was sort of a low point uh from today but yeah Kukurela struggled um and then look maybe there's a question could David Datro Fafana come on for Kyavitz maybe if we only use four of our subs obviously Gallagher for Ruben I think Ruben's probably a fitness issue Ruben was was fairly solid there uh given that David Datrafana looked you know looked decent when he came on against Fulham could that maybe have been an option where Kai you know aside from some moments like we discussed you know with with sort of that offside goal and probably aside from those first 20 minutes he was fairly anonymous after that could something more have been done there but yeah we'll kind of leave West Ham discussion there and we will get on to some listener questions Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. 
Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the first question we are going to go to is from good friend of ours, Travis. On a scale of 1 to 10, rate the cohesiveness of this squad. RJ, it's a big squad. I think we've got 33 players. As I kind of mentioned at the start, you've got players playing their first, second, third games for Chelsea, whatever. I mean, it does not feel very cohesive at the moment. I mean, you know, there's moments, the sparks, Jao Felix just seems to sort of just be this player that can you almost feel like you can just drop in and he will just perform, which is, I guess, just a a real luxury to have. Um, But yeah, perhaps not the most cohesive moment. I don't know, Travis, I'd say we're, I'll be, I'll be optimistic. I'll go five out of 10 because, you know, defensively, I think we're, we're fairly solid. Um, You know, we've, there's been some good stuff there midfield maybe some nice you know there's some nice bits today and, and the attack was bits but obviously there are still times where it goes wrong and, and I don't think it can really be higher than five when we still you know there's some poor decision making in, in other areas as well but in terms of general squad you know 33 players as well it's you know there's a lot of players for to choose building relationships etc at this moment in time we'll go five out of ten which I think is maybe a bit generous um but I'm choosing to be mm. positive RJ yeah, and I think it's fair to be in the middle of the road here just because, like you said, you look at the different phases of the team, the defensive phases, the build-up phase, the attacking phase, it's like that nice picture of the horse or whatever. The nice, It looks nice at the start and then slowly becomes less nice at the end and looks quite amateurish. But, yeah, five, the cohesiveness. But I think Travis, obviously, for those that don't know, Travis, super smart, super analytical he doesn't just look at the symptoms. He'll know the causes behind this. And I think Potter gave some recent quick insights on that. Ultimately, like you said, Nick, big squad, new players, returning injured players, players that have been phased out. When you look at the causation of why the cohesiveness is at that level that we've given it, it's because ultimately you're trying to find the right strategy with a whole bunch of new faces as well as old faces that have been phased in and phased out, plus the injured stars that have come back, trying to get everybody on the same page so quickly to deliver the champagne football that the fan base so (laughs) demands unreasonably at times, it's quite easily to explain why that cohesiveness just isn't there right now. So, yeah, now five out of ten is probably the sweet spot for me. Anything above that, and I think we're being a bit naive. Yeah. Next question comes in from Sham. How many points do you think we're going to end this season with? At the, current, at the time of recording, we have played 22 games. We are on 31 points. Uh, it's an average of about 1.4 points per game. I just times just put it on the calculator, times that by 38. If we go over the rate we've been going this season, we'd average, we'd end up on 53.54 points. So round that up, 54 points. Um, that is for contest. Last season, I believe sixth place was about 58 or 59 points. For the last couple of seasons, sixth place has been around. 58, 59 points in the Premier League. Um, obviously, that would mean, if we were to do that, we would have to get 
23, yeah, 23 points or so from our last 16 games. I would like to think, though, we would get more than that. Um, it is obviously tough to say how it is going to go. Yeah, just say for contrast, uh, if we get if we get what we were projected, 54 points from last season, that would have got us uh, eighth last season. And the season before, that would have got us 12th. So it's it's a bit shaky uh, from where it could go. And obviously, we'd like to be commending these wins its form. Um, Sham, look, let's be real. I think I talked on the pod a few weeks ago that, you know, this was a potentially kind run of fixtures we had. And we've kind of been drawing these these games. We've perhaps not been taking full advantage of them. But, you know, what I would say, there's a chance against Southampton next week to, to get a win. There's games against the likes of Leeds and Everton coming up as well. You'd like to think we could win then. You'd like to hope that Chelsea should, you know, get could get at least maybe, you know, games away against Bournemouth, games at home, Nottingham Forest. There's wins in there. And I think Chelsea have shown that, you know, certainly defensively, there's been some improvement. So, I mean, I'd hope we wouldn't lose that many more games. Look, if we could get high 50s, low 60s, maybe that's slightly optimistic given, you know, we're on tw- we're on 31 points right now. So that would require, you know, nearly just under two points a game that does seem fairly optimistic but if we could maybe get high 50s and just see where that takes us I mean again I don't really have a points total in mind there's not a magic number that I'm like this is good this is bad this means much because again that also just depends on how other sides go but yeah we'll just say you know optimistically we'll say we could get maybe high 50s low 60s RJ any points sort of mind you think we could get um, I'm choosing to just be delusional. There's 48 points left. Let's end on 79 points. That's the absolute maximum. That would be nice. But yeah, in all seriousness, I think if we could aim for that low 60s mark, if if we just spitball a number, if we can hit around the 62 points, I think that's something that's 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 achievable. Challenging, yes, but the way the season's going, and who knows, there might be a, an incentive to focus a little bit more in the Champions League. I think that around that high fifties, early sixties, pro sixty-two out there for me, Cheyenne. Yeah, so that if well it would be thirty-one from the remaining sixteen, which would be just under two points a game, which would basically be something we've not seen Chelsea do this season. It would have mm. to be essentially Chelsea would have to basically kind of perform how they did overall in the league season last year, and we did kind of see the tail off. Then that yeah. does seem quite optimistic given that there's still games away against Arsenal, Man City, etc. You just never know because if Chelsea Scott six games. If Chelsea win nine, eight, eight or nine, then that will help. I don't know. I think it's probably going to be more realistic to be maybe the fifty high fifties, maybe. But we'll we'll just see how it goes. At the end of the day, I'm not really too fussed about a points total. I'm more kind of worried about what we see, you know, performances on the pitch and whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure our points total is going to. I'm not going to remember our points total and go, oh, we got this amount of points. Let this was great. Um, whatever. Next question. We're going to go to Dieter. Um. He's got a couple. Hi, guys. Why is Kai Havertz still playing slash starting as our number nine? And should Chilwell play at Signal Aduna Park? Uh, that's referring to Dortmund. Um, why is Kai Havertz still playing Dieter? Because I guess the other option is David Datrovafana. <laughs> There's not many other options out there. Broge is injured. Bamiyang is seemingly not in for plans, despite the fact that he still wants to fight for his place. Um, Havertz has had moments in these games. Fafana is raw. I'm, I mean... I, I get. I mean, I have no issue. I'd have no issue David Datrofana starting over Kai Havertz, but I also have no issue with Kai Havertz starting over David Datrofana. And as for should Chilwell play the signal in the park, it's a question of fitness. I'm still not sure he's fit. I would be very hesitant of kind of throwing him in from the start, given that he's played what well, he played seven minutes against Fulham and thirty odd minutes mm-hmm. today. And maybe he maybe he will be ready for a start midweek. I don't know. It seems it seems a, a bold call in an ideal world. I would start him midweek. 
Um, but uh, RJ, anything to add to those questions? Yeah, no, you skipped an hour in my head. It's more about availability more than anything else. And just on Kai, I was just reflecting back on his performance. Strangely, I thought, again, like the rest of the team, in that first half, he was actually quite a lively contributor. Like, obviously, the offside course, you know, unfortunate. But there were moments when we were on the counter, and he actually was quite a good worker in terms of the counter press or being able to help link up nicely with Felix and, and Mudrik at times. So there were some good moments that I thought. The header was unlucky, the one from Chilwell, because when I first saw it, I'm thinking, oh, I should have done better. But Bonner, I think it was, or whoever really got to him and yeah. put him under all sorts of pressure. So he did good to him and get himself in that position, as well as even the one where Mason Mount done their cutback. If um, Fabianski doesn't get intervention, he slides a tap in. So, yeah, Havertz is there purely because, like I said, I think Fafana is still quite raw. Doesn't mean he shouldn't be getting more minutes. But also I thought that there were moments in that game where he he linked up quite well. So it'll be interesting to see once Sterling returns as well because we've got to remember he wasn't available. Does Graham look to maybe go for a bit of a, a false nine system and not even use him or Fafana to go something a little bit different? But for now... I think he's just the best of a not-so-great bunch at the moment. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Next question comes in from an old friend of mine. He's actually, we went to school together. He is a Spurs fan. Uh, so I was a bit surprised when I saw his his mm. question came in. But, you know, well, you know, he's obviously wanted to hear what the perspective is. Well, so if he goes, what are your... Uh, Gary, um, I'll also leave a link to his TikTok and stuff because he creates some some content, some gaming content, if any of you are interested in that. He goes, what are your fans really feeling as though you can accomplish this season? And his second question is, and are your minds already cast onto next season? How good a season that could be? Look, Gary, I'm not going to say I speak for all Chelsea fans uh, here. I'm just going to give my opinion. RJ will just give his opinion and we can maybe see say what we've seen a little bit on online. But what are your fans really feeling as though you can accomplish this season? Honestly, not a lot. I think that's probably the way the season has gone. Champions League, I think no one really thinks we can get. Uh, I think that would be, that's a pipe dream at this point. And I don't think people are really going to be too fussed about Europe hugely. I think they, if it was the option was there, I think people would obviously like it, but I don't think they're going to be hugely fussed. I think there's more just a case of just seeing what will happen in the Champions League. I think that's the main source of interest. What can we do against Dortmund? I don't think it, we, no one thinks we're going to win the Champions League. But it's a chance. Potter has not had a statement win at Chelsea yet. That's an opportunity for him to get a statement win at Chelsea to maybe show that, you know, to maybe prove some doubt is wrong or show that he is capable of masterminding the big results that you need at a club like Chelsea. And as for your second question, are your minds already cost on to next season? How good a season that could be? A little bit, yeah. This for me is almost an extended pre-season for the rest of the season. I'm not huge. I'm not fussed hugely where we finished. The results we have do not really affect my mood that much because we're not playing for much. It's a, you know, where we finish, we're not going to finish fourth. I don't think I've resigned to the fact we're not finishing fourth. So I'm just trying to see where we finish and I'm not fussed about getting Europa League football or Europa Conference League football. It presents an opportunity to obviously then maybe play some other, you know, get use your squad, you know, play keep your players happy if you, you're playing Europa League and obviously then presents a, a chance of a potential trophy. But my mind is kind of just looking forward to just seeing these players seeing what they can do, just essentially bed in, bed in with each other. And my, I am kind of more looking towards next season. My main judgment of Potter is going to come next season. And that's kind of my point. This is more, I'm still just sort of seeing out, observing from outside. And I'm just seeing what happened. And I'm just hoping 
that you know players can just build relationships get some confidence we can maybe go into next season and and actually have a proper crack because it, it does feel our season never really got started this season but just so much so for, for a number of reasons the managerial sackings just performances injuries etc it does feel that it just never really got going but rj i'll throw a question to you what are you what are you thinking uh that we can accomplish this season and then what are you, are you sort of is your mind a bit cast onto next season how potentially good that could be yeah, it's a really good question, and I was and I was thinking about it really deeply as you were giving your answers, and a part of me felt like saying, "Oh, come on, Nick, there's still 16 games here. It's not. We shouldn't resign ourselves to just say it's done and dusted." I totally get the perspective that the season hasn't really gotten going for us due to a, a variety of external reasons, but what I would like, I still think there's still a sense of accomplishment to be had in the sense of not just table position, like that's that's that black and white evidence of how your season went, the brutal reality, you went well or you didn't. But I suppose the more intangible things you'd like to see is you want to see a really clear, obvious, and hopefully from our perspective, and a more attractive and effective style of play. You want to be able to go down and say, yeah, that's Potter's Chelsea these are Potter's um, usual starting players. These are the subs we can rely on. This is this is the Chelsea that we know, and hopefully this is the Chelsea that's going to not just put bums on seats, but help us jump off our seats all around the world and be excited and proud to watch our club play, rather than at the moment where we look largely, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say depressing to watch, but we're very frustrating to watch. It's disjointed at times but there are moments that give you glimmers of hope. So what I'm hoping, the long and short of it is, we really get that sense of identity and that identity is something to be proud of. But I do think, and again, it's the delusional optimist in me, it's not about finishing fourth necessarily, but I'm hoping that the squad and hopefully this new mentality coach comes in and we really make a good fist of it throughout the rest of the season because I do genuinely believe that Finishing this season on a strong note springboards us and propels us to have a really good off-season. I like your notion of an extended off-season, but at the same time, I don't want that to act as a safety net to allow complacency to brood in here. I really want us to be able to treat these next 16 games in the league as something, yes, where it's not that results don't matter. Performance matters more and hopefully results come with it. But at the same time, I really want us to do the absolute best we can to make sure that there isn't just this nonchalant attitude that it doesn't really matter where we finish, even though in reality that might be the case. Overall, strong finish in the league and uh, give ourselves a fighting chance of going as far as we can in the Champions League because it just gives everybody that shot of confidence that I think next season we're going to be a lot, lot better. Yeah, look, just give us something to enjoy the rest of the season. We do not want to be out of the Champions League in March and then just essentially almost be in a place where there's nothing, we can't really achieve anything other than wherever we finish in the league that's not in the Champions League places, potentially. That's hmm. just give us something to, to look forward to. And as I said, in general, as for like a, a fan point of view, from what I see online, again, it's very mixed. A lot of the feeling is probably is fairly negative, um, just about the current situation where Chelsea and that's kind of what I see quite a lot of and I understand it I completely get it um it can be a bit draining to read so I kind of just try not to you know read too much of it or or interact with it much um yeah I think there's just a sense of we just a lot of fans are just wanting to see something because a lot of fans will get on to this later do not feel like they've seen enough from Potter or seen 
really anything in, in six months. So it's an issue one. It's still, you know, for me, as I said, I'm just kind of observing and just seeing what happened. And there is certainly an eye towards next season where I'm going to take a probably a more closer, harsher look mm. on on what's going on. Um, the next question comes in from the lovely Jessica Frotta. Uh, she says, should we judge Graham Potter based on results or solely on the progress being made or not made on the pitch? How long is too long to give him? Look, RJ, let's cut to the, the mm. facts. The facts are it's two wins in 13 league games. That's not good. That's relegation form. <laughs> like That is really, really bad. Um, however, I do not think we can... We, are, we have decided... I think the, the board have committed to this there do not seem to be any signs of them their their commitment wavering. So I think we accept that Graham Potter is here for the rest of the season. So with that, we just say, we look at it as the season goes. Should we base results solely on the progress being made? Uh, should we base Potter solely on results or on the progress being made on pitch? This is what I would say to that question. Look at our last two games. They're two draws. Perhaps the general feeling is not as positive as it was after the previous two games, which were a win against Crystal Palace and a draw at Liverpool. What I would say is look at those two games and look at the moments we had. Fulham, we did enough to win that game. We created three or four big chances that did not end up in the back of the net. If Kai Havertz puts one of those chances in the back of the net, if Fafano keeps his composure and rounds Leno and slots slots it, we win that game 1-0. Today, if, if one of those offside calls maybe goes away, even if we defend that situation, or if VAR does its job. And I know people will say, <laughs> you shouldn't rely on VAR. You know, Chelsea should have, shouldn't have to rely on VAR to win a game. But when you're down on night, you need luck to go your way. And you sometimes need these things. You can't win necessary games all the time, playing really well or putting chances. Sometimes you need a bit of help from outside. If VAR, if that VAR call today goes away and we slot that penalty away, we win 2-1. The conversation we're having is a lot more positive. If Fafana scores last week, the conversation... If one put one of those chances last week, it's a lot more positive. It, these two games, we very could easily have won. I know people will say that a draw was a fair result in both. That's absolutely fine. It probably is a fairish result. But we also did enough to win these two games. And had we won these two games, you know, we would have four more points. And the situation in the league would look a lot mm-hmm. different. All of a sudden, we'd be on 35 points. And we'd only be six points behind Newcastle in fourth. Which again goes back to my RJ's other question. But actually, maybe there is still, there is still hope. And we should, you know, maybe not just... Just kind of, you know, give up on it, etc. But this just kind of shows the really fine margins of work environment. That's that two wins in 13. Yeah, it's brutal. It's really, really bad. But there's also moments in there that it could just be so different. It could be really, really different. Like, even if it was, say, four wins in 13, that's still really bad. But that form, mm. that form would still have us. That would still have us in a chance of getting Champions League football. It just kind of shows the fine margins. There have been fine margins in this in these games which is why I, can't, I don't think you can base it solely on results because yeah. Graham Potter cannot control everything that happens on that field, but he, can, he cannot control players finishing their chances, right? Which is why you've then got to look at the other side of that, what we're seeing on the pitch. That first 20 minutes today, we mentioned, that's the, I think that's the best we played under Graham Potter. Now, obviously, that did not continue after those first 20 minutes, although, as I said, RJ, I agree with you. We, I think we did react fairly well after the goal. So it's one of those, but I think you've just got to try and take sort of a, a balanced approach to it. And it's going to be tough. But what I want people to do is I just want people to forget and just stop, you know, this is Chelsea. You know, this is Chelsea. Standards. 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 That word. That word that people have been using as a reason to bash Potter. Oh, the standards of this football club. The standards of this football club the last five years have dropped as well. 
we went from challenging for Premier League titles to going for top four battles. We're now, you know, in a position where we're, we're trying to scrape top four. This season is looking very, very unlikely. We're in a bit of a mess. I want everyone to forget that word standards because this is not that same Chelsea. This is not 2005 and this is not the Chelsea that you think it once was. This is a very different Chelsea. You know, Chelsea do not have a divine right to be beating these teams. Oh, yeah, it's West Ham. They're really, you know, they're 17th. We should be beating them. Yeah, we should. But we should be beating West Ham every single season. We're Chelsea, right? We're Chelsea. But we've not been beating them because West Ham, believe it or not, are also quite a good team and they're capable of stopping us. And I realise that that cannot just be wheeled out for every single game. But this is the point. You've got to look at it just just bigger. I think you've got to essentially see... No, I do not think there can be any real, real judgment on Potter till the end of the season, barring us basically essentially picking up, I don't know, no points in these remaining games, or barring saying, like, capitulating against Dortmund in the Champions League. I do not think there can really be any firm judgment on Graham Potter till the end of the season. And then at the end of the season, depending on how it goes... I think you decide on terms of how long you give him. But then what I would say to people is, you've got to also have a replacement ready. You cannot just go, like, I, if people want Potter to go, give me a name. Give me a name of who you want. Do not just say Potter's got to go. Give me a name of who you want to replace him with. And I'm not saying you're saying that, Jessica. I'm not saying uh, all the people are saying it. But if you want Potter to go, I need you to give me a name. Because you're saying Potter's got to go. Okay, cool. Who are you going to bring in? Like, you've got to have, there's got to yeah, be a plan. Don't just, don't just tell us the problem. Tell us the solution. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Give me, give me a choice, right? Give me if you if you go if Pep Guardiola for whatever reason walks out of Man City tomorrow because of what's going on with them, and and Todd Bowley can get Pep, then yes, of course I will happily drop Graham Potter for, for Pep Guardiola, obviously. But that's not reality. You've got to find me a name. Till someone can find me a name for someone who they would take over Graham Potter, I'm not even considering about you know getting rid of him. I'm not. I'm just observing and I'm waiting to see because I'm also aware. As I mentioned earlier, this is Enzo Fernandez who just played his second game. Jao Felix who just played his second game. Uh, Mikhail Mudrik has played, you know, just his third game. Nuno Madueke, his second game. It's going to take time to build these relationships. So we've gone pitch. So look, at the bare minimum, I think you've got a good growing pod until the end of the season, Jess, to answer your question. But RJ, I'll let you have a, a crack at that question. No, I really liked it. I like some of the, the truth bombs you dropped in, so to speak, in terms of the sentiment changes due to the finest of margins, the Fulham game, we should have won. They were resilient, but we were better. I would agree. West Ham, weren't sensational in the second half, but did enough overall. Should have got a bit of help. Should have walked away with three points. I'd even say against Liverpool, again, another draw. We were the better team on that day, created the better chances. Should have got them. All of a sudden, it's funny, just like those tight VAR calls of the offside, the whole momentum of the fan base, as well as the the mood towards the manager, can swing and shift based on the finest of these margins. Right. But ultimately, it is a results-based business. So naturally, in a club like Chelsea, where you've got these artificial standards, quote-unquote, set up, the environment is inherently more challenging. That's the cutthroat job you're taken into. But also the reality is, like you mentioned, the club under the new ownership setup has invested heavily in not just the players, but the backroom staff, Graham Potter, his whole staff. Rightly or wrongly, they have committed a significant amount of time and funds to supporting Graham Potter as the man to carry us for this ambitious vision. And 
there are going to be bumps along the road. We know this. We, we've seen it with Arsenal and Arteta, and they have stayed resolute in keeping him. And look at the fruits that that has brought. It's not to say that they're directly going to be 100% correlated, but there is precedent there that if you do stick with someone who you believe, if you do get the setup right, they can deliver. So like you mentioned, unless there's some sort of cataclysmic drop-off, like get belted against Dortmund, they lose their next five in a row, and there's player unrest, and all of these things conspire to create this sort of environment that's just not tenable for Potter, then you've surely got to allow him to play it out to be able to realistically integrate these new players. It's not one or two players. We're integrating half a new squad plus returning players. All of that context that's boring to people because we want results is so important. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of people that go out there they play FIFA, they play football manager, all these things where you think you get a bunch of talented people, you put them together, they're going to naturally click. Yeah, good players know how to work with each other, but we all know in the modern day era, tactics and strategies can be so nuanced at times. There's a lot of instructions, there's a lot of tactical versatility information that gets thrown out there to just dangerously assume that they're all just going to click seamlessly is a bit naive. And I hope for Potter's sake that he's given the opportunity and time to be able to embed his methods and philosophy, but at the same time, to Jess's point and a long-winded answer here, he shouldn't be judged solely on results because of all of those, those attributing factors. But at the same time, he should be held accountable for demonstrating progress both on the training paddock as well as in-game where the data behind all of the work that he does, they can clearly identify what he's trying to do and show those improvements. doesn't always have to convert to wins because due to things like they are being competent, due to people missing their chances, if you do everything brilliantly in the build-up or you defend perfectly, but someone misses a tap-in and you don't win a game, is that all of a sudden Potter's fault? So I think people should really sit back, think deeply, what can Potter influence? What can't he influence? And to your point, if it's not Potter, who else comes in and gets a different tune out of the same people? And how quickly can they do it? So, yeah, hopefully for me, he gets judged fairly based on both both the results, but more importantly, the long-term performances themselves. Yeah, and Jess, I just want to throw in a, tw- it's a brilliant tweet I saw from Pete Crowe on Twitter, at the Chelsea kid. I know a large element of the fan base won't agree, but it's bound to take time. That was Felix's second game, Mudrick's third, Enzo's second, Baddy Shide's fourth, kind of point I've, I've referenced. Recent Chile recovering. I just want to see progress. I saw some today. And that's kind of what I'm saying. It was only 20 minutes at the start of our game, but we were brilliant at the start of our game. And I can kind of live with what I saw. Because I did not think we were defensively awful. I thought, you know, that first 20 minutes was really good. And as I said, if VAR goes away, we win 2-1. And everyone is going, how good was that first 20 minutes? How good was that? That was really, really good. And that again goes back to my point, Jess. I can't just say, I just can't, I can't just look at results. Because we're, it's such fine margins we're dealing with with Chelsea at the moment. These games have been so, these games could have gone differently. Like, on the tiniest of little things. And it's just one of those, if all of a sudden these things start going our way, we get on, we get wins together, we go on a run. 
and the perspective and the view changes. And this is why I cannot come to a firm conclusion of what I've seen. Because what we're seeing, these things and these results and the favourable results, it's all bouncing on a knife edge. And it's the tiniest little thing to tip it either way or that, which perhaps, and again, on a separate point, is perhaps not the most sustainable or or whatever. But at this moment in time, I cannot, you know, say like, this isn't, this is, this is like really, really bad, or this is this, or this is what. Like, I'm just looking at it and I'm going, okay, yep, results are not great. This, you know, but I can say I'm not, I do not have an issue really with what I've seen from these last four performances from Chelsea. Even even going back to that Fulham game, there was still quite a lot I liked. Defensively, we were a shambles, but going forward, we were great. We were great. Like the XG we created was good. Like we created big, big chances in that Fulham game, but we lost 2-1. Instead, going back to Palace, you know, we, you know, we were good. You know, it wasn't the most convincing, but we, you know, we played, we played some good, we played some good, good stuff. I said against Liverpool, Mm. that was good. Regardless of whatever state Liverpool want to win, that Liverpool side have still won at Spurs this season and beat Man City at home. I know they had some injuries, but still, that's still Liverpool away at Anfield. I'm not going to, you know, begrudge a point there. And obviously it was frustrating not to win, but there was some good stuff there. Fulham at home last Friday. I know people be like, oh, it was boring. Result. Fulham created nothing. And this is a Fulham side that's, you know, caused quite a few teams problems this season. And again, I know there's talks about, oh, but it's Fulham. Chelsea should be beating Fulham. Yeah, they should. They should. I don't doubt that. But, we played well. I'm going to say it, on another day we won that. And these are the small margins. As I said, I feel small margins mm. are just defining up this season so differently. And it's why I said on the pod last week, if we beat a Manchester United, if we held on and beat Manchester United underground pod, I genuinely think this season could have gone very differently because I think the momentum wouldn't have stalled. And I think it might have kept and we might have seen a bit different. But that just happened. And obviously, you know, those things you've got to then deal with those setbacks. But it, it's just one of those things. I think ultimately, as I said, long, very long-winded answer to your question. You judge Potter on partly on results, partly what you see on the pitch, but you've also got to just factor in, and then you factor in what the the other circumstances, which we've gone over so many times this podcast, the injuries, and now he's got a new bunch of players together, and they're you know gelling, and it will take time. As I said, end of the season before I can give any before I give him till the end of the season before I can cast any real serious judgment in barring some absolute capitulation, which you know fingers crossed will not happen. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, next question comes in from Luca Foley. Luca is part of the Blue Crew podcast with Tom Coley, who is a good friend of mine and a good friend of the show. So make sure you check the Blue Crew guys out. Anyway, he says, Mount and Gallagher are the two most criticised players of late and certain sections of the fan base finally got their wish for them to be dropped. But we still couldn't win even without them. In your opinion, what's the short-term solution for us to start picking up results again? So, RJ, we've kind of just gone from, you know, looking at, you know, the longer-term thing. 
But Luke is like, how do we just get results in the here and now? And I guess more importantly, that will kind of apply to the Borussia Dortmund tie because there is no there is no time to to wait on this. It's knockout competition. There is no time to wait. It's there's no second chances. It's do or die. Um, how do Chelsea? What is the short term solution for Chelsea to start picking up results again in your eyes? It is there one? Yeah. Is it as simple as that? Is yeah. there one? I think there is. Um, again, I'm choosing to be optimistic again based on what I saw against West Ham because there were the blueprint was there. There were elements there that looked good. The start, the, the start was strong, and I think that's part of the blueprint. We need to come out on the front foot and really assert ourselves. Don't allow the opposition to get themselves a foot into the game and establish any rhythm. I think we need to go and overwhelm them. Use our classier players up top to to cause fear in them to not want to venture forward and really, really cause them to be pragmatic and stay within themselves because of the fear of allowing our creative players to get in behind them. So I think Graham should really stick with the attacking um, setup he did have. The encouraging sign, I would say, Luca, was that. We've got also some key players to return still. Zakaria, he's going to offer a lot of balance to Enzo Fernandez. I feel Kovacic, he'll be back. You know the the, the um what the quality he can bring on his day. Ben Chilwell, we saw a cameo from him. I think he will no doubt get more and more minutes. Give poor Mark Kukurea a bit of a rest out of the limelight. Probably similar to Mason Mount to an extent. Who you know, I'm happy to go on the record. I think he gets unfairly targeted and that's not to say he's not playing great of course but there's a whole bunch of players so I think having some of these key players return Kante he's still a little bit far away but short term wise keep that attacking setup as it is the goal we conceded was due to a very uncharacteristic sort of sloppiness in, in turnover but I think having players like Chilwell, Zakaria keeping that attacking trio as they are I'd even I'm even keen to see once Raheem Sterling come back as well because, yes, he's been a bit quiet throughout the middle portion of the season, but I think him and Matty Awake might be good for each other to be able to to be able to hold down that right-hand side alongside Reese James. So I do think the short-term plan is there for us, Nick. I don't know how you feel, but, yeah, I actually I'm feeling encouraged again by what I saw. Yeah, no, I I can see a team that is that is capable of getting results. I look at it, the defense. I have no issues with the defense. We put, I have fairly actually fairly confidence in our defense. I have confidence in Kepa. You know, he is not a world class keeper, good. but I have faith in him that till the end of the season, certainly in the immediate short term, he can do a job for us. I have confidence again. I think Reese James has been a bit was a bit sloppy today. I think you know for the goal that that's kind of poor from switching off a bit there. Um, but again, he's getting back to it. I have full confidence in Reese James because he is Chelsea's best Chelsea's best friend, in my opinion. I have full confidence in Thiago Silva and Benoit Badiashile at the back, and then whoever's at left back is maybe a, an interesting point. But I have confidence that obviously in the Champions League, it's going to be interesting who partners Thiago Silva. That is going to be scary for me, uh, potentially watching out because it's not you know mm. a slide on the others, but it's just I've become accustomed to watching Benoit Badiashile. And he's great. But in the short term, I look at it, the defence, you know, that defence can keep goals out. That defence that we saw today, you know, Obviously, it conceded a goal, but that is defence that can keep goals out. That midfield with Enzo Fernandez, he can create something. Again, a midfielder playing that ball is what we need. He was trying things. He he plays those progressive passes. He also will get you in trouble a bit at times. There are a couple of times he may play passes he shouldn't, maybe two riskier passes. But mm. I'm okay with that. He's trying things. And then he also, as RJ mentioned earlier, if you make mistakes, he then 
went and got the ball back very quickly. He would do his best to get the ball back quickly. And I said, in that, as said, those first 20 minutes, there were signs there. I said, on another day against a less good opponent than West Ham, we win that game because they do not, you know, we do not, I do not think we can see that type of God's opponent. And also we would get, we would have probably got in behind them more. I think credit to West Ham, they kind of, you know, managed to, to sort out those those issues that they they first early on. And actually, I think in a way, Lucas Paqueta going off them was almost a, a blessing in disguise, given how they were able to sort of shore up their team bit in, in, in midfield. But look, there's... Mm. I don't, I'm Luca. I do not have a solution because if I was a solution, I would be the manager of Chelsea, right? I do not have a solution to to get these get these results. But I think there is some there. There is ultimately you've got to persist with this attack. Again, it's big call. Keep Mason Mount on the bench bench against Borussia Dortmund. I have I saw enough from Nuni Madueke today. He looked lively again. As I just said, you, we're probably not going to talk about much about us. He was trying things. You know, a couple of shots away. He was nice. He's just a bit of a live wire on the ball. He's exciting. Mudrick, okay. Yeah, he was a bit frustrating. Maybe there'll be an option. Maybe someone like Sterling was the extra play there. But also, there is even if we did see one little glimpse with that brilliant through ball, one brilliant through ball to Kai. But obviously, Kai was offside for, so we'll kind of get forgotten about. But we saw a little glimpse there, and obviously, Jao Felix is Jao Felix. There's some things. Mm. There's some things there. As I said, I don't actually have a solution, but I would essentially say stick with the attack we saw today. Stick with the defense bar. Maybe chill off for Cucurella if he's fit. And then in midfield, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I thought was solid today. If Mateo Kovacic is fit to play as well, fair, it's a risk. But if you can get a Mateo Kovacic fit and firing, which granted, I do not think we've seen this season. I do not think we've necessarily seen the best Mateo Kovacic. And there may be other reasons for that aside from injury as well. But, you know, there's no new news of a contract. Is he off? We know that if you can get him in that right right frame uh, set of mind, that's on there. As I said, this team Potter in the, in the short term, I think he is capable of getting, you know, results in the, sh- in the short term solution. As I said, the Champions League, he's been good in that competition for Chelsea. As I said, wins against Milan, albeit caveat of Milan had Tamori sent off and they had some injuries. But, you know, from a precarious position in that group after two games, he navigated that very convincingly and got us out there. So there are reasons that I think he can get, you know, in the immediate short term, he can get results. We saw at the start under his reign, he got results at the start. So I think, you know, he he is capable. Um, as for a solution, yeah, I said it's basic. Just stick with the stick with the attack we saw today. Or maybe if it's you want to be a bit more careful against Orwin, maybe you remove one of them and you maybe put a free in midfield and you have, say, uh Enzo, Cover, uh, and Ruben, depending on fitness, maybe something like that. But but I think the solution even Sakari, I was gonna yeah, say if Sakari is fit, yeah. Yeah. Even Lucani Chikwameka as well. He's someone again. From an attacking point of view, he might be someone that could come on add a little bit of spark too because there are times in which I thought his cameos were quite positive and the reality is maybe when you've got some more stability behind you, he's someone that's worth taking a bit of a gamble on. He's sort of like um like a Ruben Loftus-Cheek where he's got that power, he's got that athleticism behind him. I think he's someone that might be able to offer that little bit of spark again in that midfield. But I think Zaccario is a low-key strong inclusion that's going to really help allow the likes of an Enzo to get a little bit more forward without having that sense of responsibility that he needs to come back all the time. So it'll be interesting to see once Graham does have those extra players to call upon. Yeah. And uh, Lucas, going back to our previous question, Chelsea kind of, as I said, Chelsea, I feel have been dealing in fine margins in a lot of games. And they said, as I said, Chelsea could easily have, I think, won three or four of these last few games and then it would show Potter is also clearly capable of picking up picking up results. So yeah, 
Uh, I'm going to combine these next two because I think they're sort of fairly-ish similar. Uh, Davey asks, how do we change risk? Gorilla surely can't start v Dortmund. Uh, we are back to trying to pass teams to sleep again with no real threat going forward. We have Modric speed and he's and being fed to feet. Uh, when we get wide, we can't beat a man and, and not turn back to goal with a pass. And Dan asks, you try waking up at 4.30 a.m. and having to listen to Andy Townsend create your team without coffee. Oh, Dan, I feel, <laughs> feel you. I mean, look, poor old RJ. Well, think about what it's like for him in Australia with time zone. So, um, Same cost- commentator as yeah. well, I was going to say. He was quite fair, to be honest, in terms of the actual penalty situation. Uh, he was going on about saying that's 100% penalty. And then a few minutes later, he goes, I still can't believe that penalty wasn't given. So to be uh, fair to Andy, he was at least backing us in that situation. Um, constantly struggling to see Potter's style anywhere. How long should he be given? Why not play for Farner? RSC was a quite positive, yet he's still forgotten how to take a shot. There's quite a lot to unpack there. Um, as for why not play for Farner, that kind of links back to Dieter's question earlier. It's not that big a deal. Yes, could we give him a start? He's also unproven. Do you just play it safe? Go with Kai. Kai's also not been horrendous in these games. He has had glimpses. I said, there's not, I've got, I in, I don't have an issue who starts between those two. Um, in terms of, they're basically kind of saying, struggling to see Potter's, you know, style anyway, and Dave kind of moans about trying to pass teams to sleep, et cetera, no real threat going forward. I mean, I'll, I guess this is just in terms of, you know, it depends how you view it. Because again, I've kind of seen Chelsea try, you know, I think Chelsea certainly try to build stuff out back. As I said, it nearly cost us today because there's a moment I think Kep played a pass that nearly got nearly got us in, in trouble. Whether that seems a clear idea that we want to pay out from the mm. back. Again, I think, you know, the fact that I guess a lot, I guess what people might use to, to not put as the attack is maybe they thought it was a lot of individuals out there and not necessarily a, a tactic. It was more just individual brilliance out there in those first 20 ins. I mean, that's, that's, that's a take you can have. Um, I would maybe think that's a bit harsh, but is what is, but what do you know? What would you say to these people who are constantly struggling to see Potter style anywhere? And as for how long he's been given, I think RJN have kind of said no real judgment from us sort of till the end of the season, barring a capitulation. But, you know, to these people who are struggling to see Potter style, what would you kind of could kind of say, given that we've kind of talked about there have been some very near misses in these last few games and sort of moments that, you know, could have changed the outcome? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, like you said, there were... Some moments where we started the game where we were definitely the aggressor. We were the one bossing the both territory and the movement. And I thought, again, not to keep harping on about how how good Felix was and, and Enzo, but they did such a great job in really getting themselves positioned in the sweet spot that it was able to really cause West Ham a lot of trouble to really interfere with their blocks of four defending and really cause really caused them to pick apart and really cause disjointedness in that West Ham setup. But it was at the times when we were luring West Ham where I, where I saw, where I thought at least I saw a lot of what, what Graham's trying to do in terms of lure them out, really pass along the back line, either for Silva, Badish Shield to Kukurea, and provided you do that crisp enough and quick enough, all of a sudden you've brought four or five um, West Ham players into a trap and then you've got this open space for the likes of Enzo and Felix to be able to try and get the speed of Mudrick in now because all of a sudden you've shifted all of these West Ham players forward, we've beat their initial press and all of a sudden you've got the speed of our wide men, both Matuwaki and Mudrick because ultimately what you want from your wingers is to either get doubled up on or they can run one-on-one against their defender and you're hoping that they use their speed and skill to really get past and create that final ball. So 
you saw with Loftus Cheek, there was that moment, I think you're referring to Nick, where he passed it and Declan Rice almost ghosted him and inter- intercepted it and created a dangerous chance. But look, for me, Graham, there are, there are some things there that I, I, I am seeing. There is moments, but because, again, the cause being he hasn't worked a lot with these players, they're still learning the system and the rhythm, naturally that's going to mean that mistakes are going to be made. And I think that there's a sense of tolerance that Graham is saying to these players to say, you have permission to try and fail. But obviously, from our perspective, we want those failures to be minimised. So, yeah, it's an interesting watch. But again, the result doesn't do justice to some of the good progress we saw. Yeah. And look, what I will say is, again, I don't know the numbers, amount of through balls we've played these last few games. And I'm not also sure if that's just a byproduct of, of maybe some of the signs. Made. But it does seem we're trying to play those, you know, through balls down the line, you know, try and get in behind the lines quickly. As I said, the off cycle say, we got caught offside. But hey, I'm actually pleased we're sort of getting in those positions, even if we're not time those those run drives. And I said, there's sort of moments, I think, mm-hmm. you know, you look at, we, we are playing through balls in these through these games. Enzo played, you know, a couple of really nice ones against Fulham. Obviously, one which resulted in Ziyech's awful shot, but kind of will get forgotten about in that game. But also there was Conor Gallagher's through ball to, to Fafana in that game. And again, there are through balls. As I say, Mudrick's one today. You know, I think there's clearly... A, them, I Felix think that must, cheek was exactly, a brilliant one as well. There must be. I think that that's a plan. I don't think necessarily that's just on individuals. It, it, it probably is aided and is easier to happen because of the players he is now working with. And maybe we're able to see that a bit more. But I think, you know, you see some things. As I said, I'm not, you know, going to try and say I'm seeing everything or trying to see, like, everything is going to be rosy or everything is going to be great. But I've seen Chelsea look a fairly, fairly threatening attacking side in these last few games, which I've, you know, we've not been always, you know, it's not always been easy to say. And obviously, you know, the caveat of the second half, no shots on target. Yeah, fair enough. I do not think we were necessarily as much of a threat second half. But as I said, that's why, you know, those first, and people are going to be like, those first 20 minutes, you've got to keep it up. But those first 20 minutes, as I said, I like what I saw. I really like what I saw. So, yeah, we're, we're saying mm. some C stuff there. Uh, but yeah. I have question. Dean is, do you think it's true Bowley thought we always got the Champions League like in American sports, no relegation? Oh, Dean, you cynic. Do you believe everything you see online, Dean? Honestly, Dean. No, I know. I did see, sort of see, see some quotes like that. I know, like, it depends what you want. Look, to be fair, I wouldn't blame him seeing as we're often in the Champions League. But look, I do not know, Dean. I do not think it's an issue at all if he thought that. Um, yeah, I don't know if you're being cheeky or what you're trying to do with that, Dean, you menace. But uh, I'm just going to be short and sweet. Um, if he did, in a way, it, it almost kind of lives up to the uh, almost the stereotype and almost this laughable sort of adorable stereotype about Burley. So if he did, okay, no harm done. I've got no issue with him. He has clearly got the best interest of Chelsea Football Club at heart. So even if he got one or two things wrong, it does not really, it's not really too big a deal there. Uh, final question comes in from Dan Hill. So that's life, huh? Now, when Dan first said this question, I did not realise it was in relation to Fodder's comments. I just thought he would just say that's life. So I was going to make a, a Frank Sinatra cheesy reference, you know. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in the league in October. You're shot down in November. It does not really rhyme. But, but you know, but I know Potter's going to change that tune. I don't, but I'm I'm living and I'm an ever-optimist. When he's when we're back on top, back on top in insert destination when Chelsea do get back on top um, there. Anyway, realistically, what's what looks like a successful season for you from this point onwards? And if you take out the long-term stability he offers and potential he has, what has GP shown to you to this point that gives you confidence he is CFC's man? So, RJ, the first one, maybe similar to other questions, what looks like a successful season for you from this point onwards? Yeah, and that's a good, fair question, Dan, and you have every right, like every fan, to ask questions. Where I think 
inevitably when you spend the money you've spent, you have the, the star players that we do have, albeit we know of the problems that we've had for several years now, we do expect better. What better looks like is different, but I think from now to the end of the season, like we touched on before, for me, what's more important than the result because of where we are, there's still 16 games to go. I still think that there's a very low likely chance of top four just based on how everybody above us is going. They're all very good on their day and or even the new boys, Brighton, Brentford, Fulham, they're all playing very good football. So I think that whoever's in front of us now are going to be very difficult to try to reel in. So for me, what's most important is us to focus on ourselves, meaning results are important, of course, but what's more important is we, again, we really, Potter has a great sense of over the next few weeks, knowing who he can be trusted as his starting 11. I feel like while it's exciting to know that we've got options, sometimes what would be nice is that you and I can talk and say, you know what? We know who's going to be our starting midfield. We know who's going to lead our attack. And we've got confidence that they're going to do a good job for us. I want us going forward to have that clear sense of this is the Chelsea we play. This is the type of football we approach. These are the good things about us. These are the things we know we need to improve on. Success for me for the remainder of the season, not only is about trying to break that 60-point gap that even though is an artificial and arbitrary number, it's more about knowing that for the off-season, that with a slight tweak or two with a couple of more players that are going, that we end the season on a strong note. A deeper run in the Champions League would be nice, but ultimately what's nicer is that we have that again. The known 11, the known style of football, and hopefully a style of football that what we saw Graham help his Brighton achieve. So for me, that's what success looks like. And to the second part of the question, if you take out the long-term stability he offers and potentially has, what has Graham Potter shown you to this point that gives you the confidence that he is Chelsea's man? Yeah, look, I think it's hard because as emotional fans, we do want to see more reaction or more, more of us as fans in him in the way he responds in press conferences. But ultimately what matters is what he does do on the training pitch and ultimately what flows through to the game. What he has shown me, I think, is that it's a tough one because I really want us as a club to be mature and back someone that we've obviously spent so much time and infrastructure supporting. So while I still I still have my criticisms of what he's doing and not doing, I think the positives of what I have seen is that you have moments like West Ham, you have moments like against Liverpool, you have moments like against Fulham, you have moments in the first eight or nine games where we're undefeated. I think there is collectively when you look at our performances, there are moments in matches where you think, okay, we 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 do look like we're building something here, but inevitably when we fail to convert on that dominance and we concede and we get the crap result that we're all unhappy with, all of that positivity gets eroded. So when I look at Graham's whole tenure, and I look at all of the games before the downfall, I I can hand on heart say that there are some good things about the style of play, but at the same time, I don't want to also be naive and just dismissive to say that he's been perfect because clearly not just the results haven't been perfect, 
but there are there are some tactical components that you do question in terms of his in-game management, the timing of his subs, the subs themselves. Only he'll know the reasons behind them because he doesn't fully share them. But I still think there's enough in there as a whole that I've been encouraged enough that we've got to at least be persistent to your point, Nick, that we make a better assessment come end of the season. If we don't understand the style of football we play, if we constantly chop and change who the starting 11 is, and if we're not obviously getting any form of results, which talks to the whole resilience part of the team, then we've got to have an honest conversation to say, we had this vision, we backed you, we had this as our this was our target for the end of the season. You're significantly off that target. I think we should shake hands and say, unfortunately, it didn't work out for all parties. Best of luck. But yeah, long-winded answer. But unfortunately, it's not just a black and white thing. It's a very deep thing that needs a lot of thought behind it. Yeah, look, Dan, that's the third part of your question. What does success look like? As I said, if we can get past Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League round of 16, that for me is pretty good. Borussia Dortmund, I think, have won six out of their six games this calendar year. I know people would think Chelsea, you know, at the time Chelsea should beat Borussia Dortmund. But even if we should, mm. as Chelsea beat Borussia Dortmund, that's still, you know, he's won a knockout time for Champions League. Like, fair play yeah. to him. That's something, you know, that's, you know, that's what part of success going to look like. Success is not going to represent a trophy. Success is not going to be a trophy this season, which is often the barometer that we manage, um, we measure Chelsea by. So it's not going to be... It's not going to be like that. So success, win some games of football would be nice. But is it, if Potter can get me enjoying watching Chelsea for longer than 20 minute periods like today, that's that's good. That's good. Chelsea being enjoyable to watch. As I said, I've realised people might think of this as, oh, the bar is on the floor. But if Chelsea, oh, I've got nothing to play for due to the situation we're in. If we're not going to compete for top four and get Champions League if we've not mm. got trophies to win. I want to enjoy watching Chelsea. I don't want it to feel like a chore. And to Potter's credit, it has not felt like watching, to my in my opinion anyway, I only speak for myself here, it is not like, it has not felt like watching a chore, Chelsea, it's not felt like a chore watching Chelsea in these last four games. The games have not been perfect. There's been periods which have been frustrating, have been poor, been dull, whatever. But I've not looked at it and gone, oh, I'm really bored. I wish I was doing something else now. This is really dead, which to be pretty honest, there were times I look back at the Arsenal game we lost in November, that Newcastle game where you were on the pod, RJ, where, yeah, despite we try to be fairly positive, there were probably other things I would rather have done than watch that game because it was not the most fun game to watch. So if it does that, if he can get, if, you know, if we get some of these attacking players, if Mudrick and some of these attackers get firing, Potter will deserve credit for that because he's the one who coaches them. If he can get them firing... To say the defense, the defense has been one of those things that actually I think under Graham Potter has been has improved from Tuchel. There was obviously that how you know a bit of a horrendous period a couple months ago, but in general, defense I think under Potter has been fairly solid. I said, well, I think we conceded nine in our first six under Thomas Tuchel at the start of the season, and it's 13 in our last 16 or something like that in the following 16 league games under Graham Potter. So that shows that there's you know there must be some sort of improvement, improvement there, Dan. So oh, look, yeah, that's kind of. It's, it's it's quite hard to say what does the success look like. It may seem really dull, but me enjoying Chelsea, watching Chelsea, you know, us, you know, getting past Borussia Dortmund in the round of 16 for Champions League. Hey, if we can get a statement win or two against the big six, even if that does not, you know, change our season much, that kind of looks like success. And as for your second question, if you take out the long-term stability he offers and potentials, was Graham put a change to this point that gives you his confidence that he is CFC's man? Dan, not a lot. Being brutally honest, not a lot there. 
but the, and, and this is why my point is which kind of has frustrated me with kind of a side point the online discourse around graham potter because around graham potter there's a lot of people whose minds seem to be made up on him that's fine that's your opinion you've obviously seen it's your you've seen in the games we've had so far enough evidence to prove that he is not man i'm not saying you're saying this down by the way at all but i've seen people say that okay that's your opinion i have not i have not got enough evidence to come to a conclusion that he is chelsea's man i do not have raging confidence that he is chelsea's man this is not like when Thomas Tuchel came in and he was winning games and getting past, you know, doing things that Chelsea hadn't done for years in winning Champions League knockout ties. It's, it, you know, it's not, it's not that I do not have, you know, the confidence that he is Chelsea man. And also by Chelsea's man, what do you mean by Chelsea's man? I do not know if Graham Potter is a man to win Chelsea the biggest trophies, but I think Graham Potter could be the man to take Chelsea from point A to point B, build a young squad, get it, get it kind of ready. Almost, almost a Pochettino-esque job at Spurs. And then maybe someone else can come in and and finish finish it off and get those players those big trophies. I think that could be a possibility. Graham Potter has not shown me loads. I said I'm not vehemently on this podcast. If if I, if I defend Graham Potter on this podcast, it's just because I want to see him given time. It's not because I'm a firm believer in him. If he went tomorrow, I would be unfazed. I have no emotional connection to Graham Potter. You know, if you left, I'd wish him well. I think he's ultimately a nice guy. I have no clue if the job is too big for him or not. I do not know because I, I have not come to the conclusion based on watching these games. I've not been able to come to a conclusion on him yet. As I said, there's glimpses I see in games. Right now, that's kind of enough for me. Maybe my bar is really low compared to other Chelsea fans, which is again going to go back to what RJ and I said earlier about standards. People are going to judge this differently. It's really hard to tell. But it's going to be really hard to assess if he, how he is the guy or not. Because as I said, people have made their minds up. You on this podcast are never going to hear me see utter the words Graham Potter out. Firstly, because I hate that phrase. I just genuinely do not believe in that phrase. I think it's so final and definitive. And I do not think you can be a manager out and essentially still be supporting him and believing in him. I do not think that. I think that essentially means you've lost all hope. You want him gone. I do not think you can really be a manager out and also be rooting for him and supporting the same time. I do not see how the two to work. The manager out language I hate. I think it's on a side point. I think it's kind of a, as a result of a phenomenon of AFTV in the late Wenger years. You know, that whole discourse around there. I just hate the language around it. I think it's so final and definitive. A manager out is essentially like you've lost all hope and all confidence in them and they're just ultimately not good enough and up to the job. If I say that, then, you know, I, I, I've i never said that about any Chelsea manager ever in my time. Um, watching, <laughs> well, I've never ever in my time, sorry, I just sent a message in the, in the Zoom chat. But whenever I, I've never ever said that about a manager ever. And I don't think I ever will. The way I view Graham Potter is probably how I view Maurizio Sarri. I'm just waiting. I'm just watching to see something. I wish him well. He's a Chelsea manager. I want every Chelsea manager to do well because then it means Chelsea are doing well. If you get if you went tomorrow, I would not be fussed. It was kind of the same half. I feel sorry. The thing is, that's 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 as extreme as it's going to get. I'm not going to be like my heart ripped out like it was when Frank Lampard got sacked, or to the extent when Jose Mourinho got sacked twice. I'm not going to be as it stands. I'm never going to. I'm not going to be that sad about if something happens to Potter because I do not have that emotional connection to him. And football is about the emotions you feel as a fan. I will not have that. Mm. But on the flip side, I will never ever lose my shit and be angry and raging and taking to Twitter and bemoaning why he's still in the job. I'm never going to be like that because as long as he's Chelsea manager, he has my support. And ultimately, what I think is pretty irrelevant in the grand scheme of things because I'm not the one who makes the decision. So I'm not going to moan and bemoan him and how rubbish he is or how out of his depth he is or how he's got to go. 
because all I'm going to do is waste energy and just going to be annoying myself and I'm just going to get drained. I realize I've sort of taken a, a detour to that question down, but it's just something from conversations I've had with people before that I just, I kind of hate the language used kind of when we're discussing Greg Potter online at the moment, a lot of it. I just mm. think it's just, you've got to kind of wait and see with it. I do not, and this is the thing which I think a lot of people kind of misconstrue, that people defend Potter. It's not because they think he's amazing or think he's great. It's just because it's, it just gets misconstrued because it's not, it's not like the, it's not like a lot of, it's not like the noisy majority you see on Twitter and online, which is very negative and essentially has lost faith in him and won him out. That's kind of how it gets misconstrued. But for people, people like me and people like RJ and people like others who are, who are backing Potter while he's here, they're not like set on him. We're not worshiping him. We do not think he he is God. We do not, you know, we do not think he is he is the Messiah. We do not think, you know, we are not part of a cult, right? The people who support Graham Potter, which is again another word I've seen used online in the last week, so we're not part of a cult, right? We're not part of a cult. We're just wanting to see him given time because we've been told that this is a project and it's going to take time, and we'd like to see it get fruition. And at this moment in time, we do not believe there is a better. I do not know and think there's a better man out there. And I said, and like I said earlier provide a better man out there i'll give you a name who i would consider but again it would basically be a sideways appointment thomas frank at brentford i would happily have him manage chelsea football club i think he's done a great job at brentford i think they're on it's now they're unbeaten in 13 games or one loss in 13 games they've gone and drawn at arsenal today they've won at man city this season they've beaten liverpool right they they pick up results they're a good team but he's not got that big mm. appointment yet but chelsea made that leap with graham potter so you know it's a site. It's a similar appointment. So I, you know, that's all I could say. As I said, I may again be like I tend to do on this podcast, just go off in tangents. As I said, I've not seen loads to say that Graham Potter is Chelsea's man. I've not. I'd be foolish. I'd be kidding, kidding you. I'd be kidding myself if I said there was lots me to think for Graham Potter's man. But to his credit, I think we're seeing we're starting to see a settled back four. Obviously, in the Champions League in midweek that'll get shaken up a bit. But I see there. I think Enzo Fernandez is going to be a key player there. Again, if I can start to see a more settled side forward, then again, that's that's something nice because with Grand Potter this season, he's tri- he has changed his Chelsea side so much. There's been so many changes. I think it was that only Thomas Tuchel's made more changes in their you know first set of Chelsea games than Grand Potter, and obviously the circumstances of that with all the new signings. But as I said, there's not loads that's given me confidence to say that he is Chelsea's man. But I'm also, but I think it would be so rash to just go, and it'd be so easy to say he's not the man. He may well not be the man. He may well not be the man. But what do I gain from that other than like looking right and appearing right? Because if he, he's got to be given the chance to fail. And I do not believe at this moment in time, Graham, chance, Graham Potter has had a sufficient time as Chelsea manager to be given that chance to fail, if that makes sense. He's had a period of games, but he's got his squad now. As I said, that's why my judgment on him comes at the end of the season. Maybe to some that will come off as I'm giving him a free pass. But I've said, as I said, I keep referencing, the first 20 minutes today were good. Fulham, we created some good chances, but on another day, if we put them away, we win. Liverpool, we were pretty good. I see little bits. As I said, if we go to Dortmund, if we avoid defeat in Dortmund, I'm pretty happy with that. It means we're in a good position to qualify for the second, for the next stage of the Champions League. So, look, as I said, there's not loads that have shown me, given me the confidence, he's a man. But I just want to play it out. I just want to watch it play out and see. I've not got a really firm view one way or the other. As I said, all respect to those people who have come to a conclusion already. If that's that's how you feel, then fair enough. I can't come to that conclusion. I've not seen enough. Mm. I've not seen enough, given all the circumstances of the context. You know, if if he'd not had all these new signings made, if we'd not signed any of these players in January and he was still just operating the squad he had before, then maybe I'd be leaning more towards one way. But I'm not, because there's new signings. And it's naive context. to think they just gel yeah. immediately. Exactly. 
There's so much things and factors. You've got to you've got to have a play here, which is why these last few months, that's probably where more of my judgment is going to come. Because I said, hopefully he'll have a more settled side. He'll have players back from injury. But the signings will have played more games together. And hopefully they'll be gelling. As I said, at this moment in time, I, I cannot have a firm view on him. I've not, I'm not going to defend him from the rooftop. I'm not going to say he's a man. I do not know if he is a man. Because I don't think anyone knows it. I don't think anyone can safely say right now that he is the man. I don't think anyone, I think people would be lying to themselves if they, if they told you Graham Potter is the man for Chelsea. Because the evidence we've seen is not there. Yet, there's not enough evidence to have that strong a view. Because if there was, we would not be where we are. That's all, that's facts. But at the same time, the context and everything that we've mentioned here, I cannot, I cannot be in a position where I think he's got to go. I can't be in that position yet. So as I said, wait and see, wait and see, just observe, see how the rest of the season goes. There's potential. A lot of people may be doom and gloom. I'm excited for what's ahead because it's an opportunity. It may not pan out how we like. It may provide more disappointment, frustration and anger. But it also provides an opportunity. And I think that's exciting. It's a, it's a provides an opportunity for us to to maybe, you know, for him to surprise us, for him to surprise you, to get some statement results. It's an opportunity. It's scary. You know, we do not know what's going to happen. But I said this month, I said to, to Brilliant Redders, who posted a, a video on Mason Mount on Twitter the other day, we just ended up having a general conversation, said, this month ahead, I'm feeling an emotion of things. I'm excited. I'm intrigued. I'm nervous. Because this month could really be anything. I'm just just wait and see. As I said, I'm just wait and see on it. I can't have a strong view one way or the other because for me, not enough time has passed. I can't have a strong view on him one way or the other. I need to see. I need to see more. Anyway, that's a long-winded answer. We've gone on long enough. Um, RJ, I want to thank you for your time as always. Unless you've got anything else to add to Dan's uh, question, we will wrap it up there, and I'll give yourself uh, one last plug. No, I love it. And just if I had to summarize your your thoughts here and say. The man at Chelsea, yes. The man for Chelsea, question mark. So now I think you you answered that very well. And it's been a pleasure to be back on here, Nick. I love talking to someone like yourself that that thinks about it in the right way as a passionate fan, but someone that really steps back and, and really just goes through it critically and, and dissects it as a passionate fan, but someone that's also got a bit of emotional intelligence, you know, but that's life, as, a, as we like to now say. That's my new favourite line. But look, for me, it's been an absolute privilege. If you want to support any of the content that I do, because I talk all things Chelsea and Premier League on my show every week to break down the Premier League um, week that was, and I do my best to represent Chelsea and have my own Chelsea-based shows on my channel. We are called It's a Football Thing. Find us on YouTube at The IFT Pod. Feel free to jump in and say hey. Lovely, lovely stuff, RJ. Those links will be in the description Below. As for us, we're on Twitter at that Chelsea Pod, Instagram at that Chelsea Pod, we're on all your usual podcast providers, Apple, Spotify, etc. If you've liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a rating view. If you thought I talked absolute nonsense and Graham Potter is not the man for Chelsea, still feel free to let me know in a review. But hey, if you give it five stars, that'd be that'd be nice <laughs> at the same time, too. But but no pressure. Um, whenever I tweet put out any likes, retweets, goes a long way, just gets on some people's times. At the end of the day, we are just Chelsea fans talking about the one club we love. And hey, you know, it's frustrating. You know, winning we all when you don't win games, it, it's frustrating. But you know, there's things to things to enjoy, things to look forward to. Um, you know, exciting month ahead. So until the next episode, everybody keep the blue flag flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.